going to jump right into it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 today. We're going to read verses 1 through 20, and then we're going to go ahead and get into the message today. But as we do, uh, if you've not been with us before, we, we read our passage of Scripture, uh, and then we take a moment, we take a minute or two maybe just to sit with it, reflect on it, if we need to read it again, or just spend some time in prayer before the Lord so that the Spirit really speaks to you this morning. Soften up your heart, get rid of any distractions or anything, bring those before the Lord, lay them at His feet. And then as we talked about and as we just sang, you know, we're His children. He wants to speak to us today. He wants to teach us something today. And so let's come in with that expectation, okay? So Mark chapter 5. Verses 1 through 20, it'll be up on the screen as well. It says, And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had just happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Father, as we get into your word this morning, Lord, we ask that you would speak loud and clear to our hearts and our minds. Lord, this is such a powerful story of transformation, of salvation, of freedom. There's so much in this, Father God, so may you help us understand very clearly what it is you want us to know. Lord, we trust in you and thank you for this morning. Thank you for every single person in this room. Lord God, may we draw closer to you this morning in what we read and what we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, promise fulfilled, yes, from last week? Brought the disciples into the storm, but more than that, he brought them through the storm. And as we saw that promise fulfilled, they reached the other side. 
I remember that. So that's kind of what we're, we're building on this morning. But they come to this country of the Gerasenes. It's also known as Gadarenes. Got a lot of different names in this region. But if you can kind of picture the map or if you can kind of envision uh, the Sea of Galilee region, if you're familiar with it, they are now on the eastern side. So they have crossed right through the middle of the sea. They've come to the eastern side. And as we see, it says here, the man had been completely enveloped by demons. This man that saw Jesus came to him with an unclean spirit, as verse 2 states, but as we find out, he's got more than just a spirit, doesn't he? He's completely enveloped. They were controlling his life. They were tormenting him, causing him harm. And if that wasn't enough, they were causing him to cry out, to shriek as it's translated. So you almost get this vision of the, the people in the town where this man lived. They had spent a long time trying to subdue him, trying to control this man who had been possessed by the enemy. But they couldn't do anything about it, and so they sent him to the outskirts. And he finds himself living in the tombs. So what does this kind of represent? This man that Jesus is confronted by is as good as dead. He's hopeless. There's nothing that any man could do in his own power to control this man in the, in the, in the possession that he was enveloped in. So night and day he was in the tomb, shrieking, crying out. They were physically hurting him. He was doing all that he could to cut himself with stones. I don't know, I don't know if that means anything. He was just trying to, you know, the, the inner torment this man was feeling, that he was doing whatever he could to harm himself to maybe take his mind off of what was actually going on inside. But it's a pretty incredible picture of this man who was possessed, being afflicted, daily by the enemy by these demons what do we read in scripture john 10, 10 tells us that the enemy only comes to steal and kill and destroy doesn't he that's the enemy's purpose and that's what he was doing to this man but this possession was so intense that his own community couldn't handle subdue or control him the only result was to make him an outcast there was no hope now, I want you to catch on to this. There was nothing in their own power. An entire community could not do anything for this man. Chains were not good enough. Shackles were, were broken into pieces. That's how much strength this, these demons were giving this man. Shackles, chains, people, nothing could subdue him. Nothing in their own power, their own wisdom, could bring him into submission. Only something or someone greater than themselves was going to be able to save this man. But as we move on, as we look into verses 6 and 7, as this story is set up, it says, and when he saw Jesus from afar, this demoniac, this, this person, and, and we don't get a name, do we? We read through these 20 verses, and we don't know a name that's given to them, this man other than this man possessed by demons, a demon-possessed man. This is what he's known as. And he doesn't really even give it a name in Scripture. But when this man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, we've seen this before. Demons recognize Jesus. They understand who he is. And we don't know how far away he was, but Mark used one of his terms again that we saw right away in the beginning of our study of Mark. He used that word immediately, didn't he? 
We saw that again. He uses that term again. That immediately there met him out of the tombs. But yet down in verse 6, it says, When he saw him from afar, he goes and meets Jesus, and he drops down onto his knees in front of him. But he says, again, crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, or I beg you, I plead with you. By God, do not torment me. This is an interesting statement by a demon, isn't it? But the demons recognize Jesus. If we go back to chapter 1 in Mark, we saw the same exact thing. When Jesus, in Mark's account, first had an encounter with an unclean spirit in the synagogue, what did that demon do? Mark 1.24 says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? But that demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this, this man, these demons didn't just recognize Jesus' appearance, didn't just recognize his face. What did they recognize? His authority, his deity. That he was the Son of God. They knew him, they knew of him, they knew about him. More importantly, they knew what he could do. And so here you have them recognizing his authority, his deity, and they're begging him not to torment them. Interesting, isn't it? What does Scripture tell us about the demons and their thought towards Jesus? James 2.19 says, Even the demons believe and they shudder. Well, that begs the question, what are they afraid of? What are these demons afraid of? What are they shuddering for at the authority of Jesus? Well, if we take this story and we kind of compare it to Matthew's account and Luke's account, we get a better idea of what they're talking about in regards to Jesus tormenting them. If you want to just make a note, Matthew 8, same story, verse 29, the demons speak to Jesus and says, Have you come here to torment us before the time? And if we look at Luke's account, in Luke chapter 8, verse 31, it says the demons begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. So we really see what these demons are afraid of. They have fear. They have a concern. But the way that they're speaking to Jesus is if they are, they're saying, we adjure you, we, we're begging you, we're, we're pleading with you. Dare I say, they are praying to Jesus not to send them to their promised destination in the end. Send them where? Send them to hell. They know their end result. And their whole purpose in between now and then is to do everything they can to steal and kill and destroy, to discourage and to afflict, to cause pain and hurt and worry and anxiety, you name it. Because they know when they're sent to hell in the end, they lose their purpose. Because when they're in hell in the end, and, the, and that, those gates are shut, so to speak, they've got nobody to torment. They're done. And so this is what they are pleading to Jesus for. Don't send us into the abyss. You know, and I just got to take a moment as we kind of, I'm going to pull away from the story for a minute, because I, I want to make that kind of very clear, as, as we're moving forward and as a church, 
hopefully you understand by now, this is, this is not something we're going to shy away from. We're not going to shy away from talking about hell. We're not going to shy away from talking about demons and affliction. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they're real. Hell is a real place. And that's what we're going to teach here, and we're not going to be afraid to talk about it. And this is something that we need to understand as one, as followers of Jesus, or as those maybe who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Scripture is very clear that this place exists. If these demons were shuddering and afraid and scared that Jesus was going to send them to their promised destination, what message should that send to us? You know, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says, and if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the final judgment. But I want to back up really quick and go back to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 25. It won't be on your screen, but if you want to make a note, this is the parable that Jesus is explaining about that final judgment where he separates the sheep from the goats. You know that story? But again, remember when we talk about parables, parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or a spiritual truth that walks hand in hand with daily living. So Jesus isn't just telling a story about sheep and goats. He's telling us and assuring us that when we stand before him, he's going to say one of two things. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Or, as he says in Matthew 25, 41, the words I hope nobody in this room or that we come in contact with hears the words, depart from me, you cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, if that tells us anything is that hell is a place that Jesus and God created for the devil and his angels, not for us. However, as we read in Revelation 20, verse 15, if our name is not written in the book of life, then that's where we're headed. But Jesus, and if there's anything that we've learned in these first four chapters or four and a half chapters now, is that Jesus is very clear in who he is and his heart and his compassion and his love and his hope. And when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There is purpose. There is hope. So if we're talking about this demoniac who had no hope, who was shunned to the tombs, screaming in pain and, and being tortured and tormented day and night, there was hope for him, but there was only one person that could provide him the healing and provide him the hope. And he just arrived on the shore. And the same thing goes for us today. Jesus assures us of life everlasting. He can free us from our own torment, our own affliction, our own hurts, our own fears, our own anxieties. We don't have to live that way anymore. You might be like this demoniac, not that you are possessed, but that you are going through life like, I don't have any hope. What is my hope? Nobody can help me. Nobody has helped me. There's nothing that can be done for me. And Jesus is saying to you right here, right now, no, there's hope, but you believe in me. I am your hope. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If this place, this hell, is reserved for the devil and his angels, this tells us right here, he doesn't want anybody to go there. That's what a lot of people in society will say. How can such a loving God send people to hell? What did we just read? He doesn't desire that anybody go to hell except for those he created that place for. And that doesn't include us. But he desires that all come to repentance and understand who he is. That's a message we need to bring to the world and not be afraid to share it. People need that hope. Sometimes people need that bluntness <laughs> to be told there is hope. If you don't accept it, there is hell. Let's be careful about how we share the love of Christ with people. But sometimes that's what's needed. So let's come back to our story. Verses 8 through 15, we'll kind of bring all these together. Whereas before in Mark chapter 1, we, we, we saw that Jesus in confronting this unclean spirit told him to Shh, be quiet, don't speak. Remember when we were talking about that because now was not the time to make who he was in his ministry aware to everybody yet. So he didn't permit the demons to speak, but here, just a few chapters later, he has a conversation with them. He asked them his name. And what we can say is the lead demon says, we are, we are legion. My name is legion. Now, is that his actual name? No, of course not. But what you can see is these demons inside of this oppressed man were so many that they used a military term to define themselves. Now, if you remember from the very beginning in establishing the gospel of Mark, Mark writes to a Roman audience. So in Roman terms, a legion in military terms represented about five to 6,000 soldiers. So when this, these demons and the one speaking for them is saying, we are legion for we are many. Now we're not saying that there's five or 6,000 demons inside of this man, but it's representative of how afflicted he is. If these, if these demons destroy a herd of 2,000 pigs. Now, pigs don't run in herds. I don't know if you know that or not, but they're not smart animals. They're not a herd animal. They don't run around together. They just kind of do their own thing. So when you see 2,000 immediately respond and run down the hill to their own demise. That again is a powerful message and display of how much this man, one man, was afflicted. But according to Matthew's account in, in verse 32 of chapter 8, Jesus said with a single word, go. He just said, go. So these years of this community trying to subdue this man, bring him under control, try and help him, shackle him, chain him so he wouldn't hurt himself or others. Now with a single word, Jesus releases this man of his affliction. But not before they make a request of Jesus. We caught that? 
says, send us into the pigs. Because if they're not going to be allowed to torment any other person, at least give us something that we can torment. They didn't want to go to their final destination. They wanted something. And Jesus approved of their request. Interesting, right? Here they are begging, adjuring, pleading with Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. At least, if anything, send us into the pigs. And so he answers their request. But yet with a single word showing the authority of who he is. Such an amazing physical display of freedom for this man. Two, an amazing display of the defeat of the enemy. And what I see is a precursor to what Jesus was going to do for all of us towards the end of his ministry. What Jesus would do on the cross by taking our sin unto death to provide us victory over sin and death. That's the display that we can see, that we can take from this of what Jesus did for us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. It says, You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away, nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What a beautiful representation of what Jesus would do on the cross, as we'll get to later on in our studies of, of the Gospel of Mark. But he took our sin from us. As he released this demoniac, this demon-possessed man of the legion of demons inside of him, in an instant... Later on, what Jesus would do in an instant on the cross is release everybody, past, present, and future, from their own affliction, their own sin, and provide them eternal life should they believe in his name and accept that free gift. But let me remind us again, remember the purpose of Jesus' ministry. Remember why he came. And if I can give you one more verse as to why he came, it's 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. It says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Remember what we said earlier in John 10, 10, he comes to steal, steal and kill and destroy. And if we finish John 10, 10, but Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. And here again in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And in this amazing way, he did just that. And so the, the, the townspeople see this act and they go and tell the town and they come running to find out what really happened. And what do they witness upon their arrival? One, this formerly chaotic, this formerly demon-possessed man is now at total peace. Mark's account tells us he was just sitting there, in his right mind, sitting there. Whereas before, chains and shackles could not bind him, could not keep him. He would break those chains. But now he was just sitting at perfect peace. We read in Luke's account that he was naked, and now he's fully clothed. Formerly crazy, now completely in his right mind, 
such a radical transformation because of the single two-letter word that Jesus came and spoke and said, go. And he was released. But what we read now is this reaction by the townspeople, their response to Jesus. Bear in mind, everything that we've talked about thus far from chapters 1 up till 4, Jesus was performing these miracles. He was, he was teaching with authority. He was releasing demons. He was healing the sick, giving people back their legs, right? And that was causing people to flock after him, to follow him. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were following Jesus. Now he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and we see a different response, which is interesting. In verses 16 and 17 of Mark 5, it says, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. It's an interesting turn, isn't it? Whereas before, when he would turn water into wine, people were amazed. When he would heal the paralytic, people were amazed and marveled at what he could do. And wanted more and more and more. And yet here, they're, they're afraid. After such a revelation and a miracle, why would they ask Jesus to leave? Well, we can look at that from a couple perspectives. If we look at it from an economic perspective, <laughs> did you guys catch that? From an economic perspective, 2,000 pigs were just destroyed. Somebody lost a lot of money. Because that was their livelihood. That's a whole lot of bacon that just went down, done, destroyed. So economically speaking, these, these herdsmen, just we lost our whole livelihood. How are we going to get that back? And with one single word, if this man could destroy the entire herd of pigs like that, what else could he possibly do to us financially or economically? It's a little, little frightening, a little scary to think about. That's one way to look at it. The second way to, to look at it is it's just the fear of the unknown. Again, they believed, they, they saw the proof sitting there before them, formerly chaotic, now at complete peace. How did this happen? Again, we spent potentially years trying to subdue this man. We saw him break chains. And now here he is, completely at peace in his right mind. That caused them outright fear. Now, I want to follow that up with, remember the story that we just came through? Through their obedience, the disciples got on the boat, they were going to cross the sea, and they went through their storm. And they were afraid, weren't they? They were fearful. But when Jesus got up and rebuked the storm and the waves and everything became calm, that fear turned into a different kind of fear. A reverent fear, Right? Now, we got to look at the kind of the definition of, well, what kind of fear are these townspeople feeling now? They're outright afraid. This is not a reverential fear. This is not a, a fearful awe of God's power and majesty and what he could do, because if that were the case, they would have asked him to stay. They would have wanted to follow him, but they said, no, we need you gone. They were afraid. They were frightened. They were alarmed. So this event did not invite curiosity into who Jesus was. It just caused fear. 
is it's interesting when you make this correlation to the parable of the sower from Mark 4, verses 1 through 9. We talked about that, that seed that was sowed on or by the wayside. Some fell by the wayside and immediately the birds came and snatched it away. That's what we're seeing in the townspeople. They wanted absolutely nothing to do with the word of God. They wanted absolutely no part in receiving what Jesus had to say from there on out. And we saw in that instance the enemy just yank that word from them. And they said, we need you to leave. Whereas on the opposite end, that seed on the demoniac's heart fell onto good soil, didn't it? And he received it immediately. Wouldn't you? <laughs> if that kind of radical transformation happened in your life, just like that with a single word, I would hope we'd be a little more open to receive more from this man that just saved our life. But as we close out in, in verses 18 through 20, we see this faith of this, his newfound freedom. This one man, he wanted to follow Jesus. He had a desire to get in the boat with them and his disciples and I'm going to go with you. I need more of this. That's a beautiful thing. But what's interesting to, to note is Jesus said, no, I'm not going to let you follow me right now. Rather, Jesus commissions the first missionary. Paul's not the first missionary. Sorry to break it to you. A demon, formerly demon-possessed man, is commissioned to be the first missionary in Jesus' ministry to say, no, I don't want you to follow me. I want you to go and share your story. Go and testify what God had done for you. Pretty amazing. And it's interesting to note that there were three requests made in this story. Three requests were made in these 20 verses. Number one, by the demons. Don't send us to our eternal torment. The second request, the townspeople said, we're going to ask you to leave. On requests one and two, Jesus granted those requests. He sent the, the demons into the pigs, granted their request. Two, we see at the end of our reading here that he got in the boat and he was on his way out. But the third request he does not grant of somebody asking to follow Jesus, he says no. Interesting, isn't it? Because we have to understand that Jesus' purpose and plan for our life is not going to be necessarily what we want or desire. It's not going to be what we want or desire all the time. He'll answer our requests, and sometimes that answer is no. Let me remind us of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. Jesus knew the plan that he had for this man. And I want us to understand that Jesus sent his disciples and himself into the storm to go through the storm, to build their faith, to go to the other side for what? One person. One person. And they got in the boat and went back to the other side. Is that surprising to anybody? 
I can imagine maybe some of his disciples, if I'm going to add to their thoughts and feelings, like they get in the boat to go back over and they're like, what? Seriously? A storm? We almost died? Because for one person? You put us through all this for one person? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know if that was actual any conversation that takes place, but I like to think that way, you know, sometimes that... But, but that's what took place. And that's what I want us to grab onto. That Jesus' purpose of allowing things to happen in our life could very well be for one person's salvation. Now, that's not all for naught. What did this man do? He was told, go home. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family what God had just done for you. Show them the mercy that God has had on your life. And he goes, but did you catch that he exceeds his commission? He goes beyond what Jesus tells him to do. Because it says he goes and declares to the Decapolis. Now, if we just break that word down really quickly, it just stands for ten cities. In that region where this man lived, in the, in the Gadarenes, or the Gerasenes, were ten cities, the Gerasenes being one of those. There were nine other neighboring towns. Jesus told him, just go home. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family. But he said, okay. But he kept going. He kept going. Now, he could have went home and said, Mom, Dad, I'm home. If your parents were still alive, I don't know. And that would have been amazing enough. So you never know. Jesus didn't grant his request to follow him, but maybe these townspeople who originally said, we need you to leave. Maybe, just maybe. They were brought to faith in Jesus Christ through the testimony of this man later on. We'll know in time, but I like to think that way as well. That they, Jesus needed him through his witness, his testimony, his story to share of the grace and the love and the mercy and the radical transformation that Jesus can give you in your life. And people needed to hear it from him. It's an amazing testimony. Let me, let me read a, a verse for you, and then we'll bring, bring this to a close. Psalms chapter 145, verses 17 through 21. And I want, as we read this, I want you to think about the story that we just went through and relate to what's said in this chapter versus what this demon-possessed man just experienced. Psalm 145, verses 17 through 21. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh Bless his holy name forever and ever. That's what Jesus does for us. And so I'm going to ask you guys a question. Who's your one? Who's your one? One person. Who is Jesus put in front of you on a regular basis that you could speak into? Who's one person in your family or in your 
close circle of friends that you could share your testimony with. Like, well, well, Pastor Cam, I don't have this kind of testimony. I wasn't demon-possessed. You were, you just didn't know it. You have a testimony. You have a story you need to share. And don't think and don't compare that it's not good enough, that it's not, dare I say, sexy enough for the world to grab their attention. Your story is your story. Your story is what Jesus brought you through or is bringing you through. And somebody needs to hear it. One person. Because you don't know what that one person could do. He could go on and share with the Decapolis. Because you were willing to share your story. So that's my challenge for us this month. The month of February. I'm going to challenge you to find one person. And share your story. And we need to figure out a way to do that where... You don't need 45 minutes to share your story. In fact, I'm going to give you a little, little tip right now. If you go to the book of Acts, you don't have to right now, or if you just want to make a note. In the book of Acts, chapter 26, in the book of Acts, chapter 26, the entire chapter, the Apostle Paul is standing before King Agrippa, and he gives a defense. And in his defense, Paul shares his testimony. Now, whether it was actually like this or not in, in real life, we don't know. But I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to go home. Oh, by the way, did you guys fulfill your homework from last week? Y'all read Psalm 107? Why did everybody's eyes just go down? <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to hold you to that. That's, on, that's for you. But here's another assignment. Simply enough, I want you to take a stopwatch, click start, and then read out loud Acts 26, the whole chapter. Whether you read fast or you read slow or somewhere in between, it's going to take you right around three minutes or about three and a half minutes just to read the whole chapter. But you know what Paul lays out in that entire chapter? His entire testimony from start to finish. And it ends with a request Paul standing before the king, and the king says, you would persuade me now to become a Christian? Paul was sharing his testimony, and it took him three minutes, if the words that we read in Acts 26 were real life. There may have been more or less, but I want you to, I want you to think about that. I want to challenge you to develop your testimony, your story that you have in Jesus, and pare it down to about three minutes. Anybody ever had to wait in line at a store for a few minutes? Ever been in line at the bank for a few minutes? Sat in traffic for a few minutes? You could share your testimony of God's grace and mercy in your life in just a few minutes. Well, Cam, I'm not a preacher. Neither was the demon-possessed man. And if I can be real with you, Neither am I. I'm just trying to fulfill what God has called me to do. Just because I stand on a stage behind a shaky podium doesn't make me anyone more than somebody who's just wanting to share his story. 
and share about the love of Jesus for anybody that wants to come in here or when I'm out and about. You know, we had that opportunity yesterday to walk around a, uh, an area of Lake Elsinore in the Summerlee area and, and just pray and share Jesus with those that we had the opportunity to share with. And we came in contact with people and talked to them and established relationship with them and simply had in them a little square card, an invitation to church, say, come and hear more. You know, that's what we need to do on a regular basis. And so that's the challenge this month. Who's your one? Think about that. And if I can end with one more portion of Scripture to make this real and, and a final challenge in that time. Anthony, if you want to come on up and play for us. It's in Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. We need to find our one. There's plenty of lost people in our community. There might be a lost individual inside your own home, next door to you, at work, in the store. I want you to look around at the, some of the empty chairs around you. That's one person. One person. So just be, I want you guys to be praying. And we're going to spend some time this morning praying for that as we kind of close out our time now and we'll jump into communion, but one, let's be praying for who that might be. To look for those opportunities to speak life and God's love and grace and mercy into somebody. And you know what? You don't need to have Scripture memorized. Crazy, right? Because I think every single one of you know your own story. You know what God has done in you. Did this demon-possessed man leave with all the scripture memorized? No. Did he go to seminary? No. He just went and told his story. And more than likely, he ran into people that knew him as the demon-possessed man. Because do you think that was immediately forgotten because he was healed and clean? No, he probably carried that for the rest of his life. He was the demon-possessed man. And so, so don't let that hinder you that, well, I, I was a drug addict, or I was a drunk, or I was into pornography, or I did this, or I did that, and, and let that label you, but let that hinder you from sharing your story because that doesn't define you anymore. The love of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is what defines you. But it's okay to use who you were to share the hope and love of Jesus because that doesn't define you anymore. Jesus does. People need to hear that. People need to hear that.